Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to talk to you about tonight about something that's been on my heart for a while, and it's about... uh, studying the Bible and about uh, trends, popular trends, uh, I want to talk to you about different kinds of Bibles and, uh, and what to look for in Bibles and, and so forth. You know me as a, as, a, as a teacher, I'm always quoting from different translations and uh, I don't remember now how many I have. I've got quite a few uh, whole uh, Bible translations. I've even got more uh, New Testament only uh, translations, and and I love them. And and I've got all kinds. I've got all of these different types of uh, of Bibles, and uh, they come in in basically four categories. And uh, there's first of all the word for word translation. Uh, these are literal translations. The idea is as close to one Greek word as you can find, find an English word uh, or whatever the language would be, but translate it in in as exactly as you can. And uh, those are word-for-word translations. The King James Version is a word-for-word literal translation. The New King James, the same thing. One of my favorites is the... uh, uh, English stand, I've got all these abbreviations up here and there's, I'm, I'm looking at a sea of abbreviations. The English Standard Version is a very good uh, literal translation. Uh, the New American Standard Bible is, uh, is a good literal translation. And the New English Translation uh, is, is also very good. The Amplified Bible stands, it's a literal translation, but, it, but it, it's slightly different. It's, it's referred to as a literal equivalent because it it tends to take every word from the Greek and translate it, uh, but it adds some of the other shades of meanings. In other words, it it doesn't always just translate one word with one word. Uh, Certain words that that they think that are important, the translators think they're important, they they will use several words to bring out the fuller uh, meaning of that. And uh, remind me, Ansel, to come back to, to, to the difference in, in uh, uh, the Amplified Bible in another point in a, in a little bit later in this. So those are word-for-word literal translations. The next type is a meaning-for-meaning meaning translation. And some of these, as I go through these, they cease to be translations. They, be, they begin to be more versions would be a proper, more accurate way to say it, a certain version of the Bible. And some of them are, are neither translations nor versions, versions of the Bible. They're paraphrases, no matter what they're called. So the second kind, the first kind is, is the word-for-word literal translation. The second type of translation is a meaning-for-meaning in other words, they, they don't literally, they don't try to translate one word uh, in the Greek with another English word. They will, they will try to find the meaning of a word and uh, expound upon that a, just a little bit. 
these are slightly expanded translations. Uh, the uh, God's Word translations, uh, translation, the Weist uh, translation is one of my favorites in that. The Weist uh, translation, uh, Kenneth Weist, and, and this other one, this next one uh, that I like a lot, the Williams translation, uh, both of these uh, scholars, Kenneth Weist and, and Williams, I don't remember his first name, but uh, their philosophy is that the tenses of words, because in the Greek language that we have, in, in the English language, we have essentially three tenses, and there's some variations, but there's past, present, and future. Uh, in the Greek language, there's some other tenses, and uh, it really colors what uh, the, the, the scripture has to say when you put it in, in, the, in the tenses and, and bring that out. So the Weist uh, New Testament, it's only a New Testament, it doesn't do the whole Bible, and the Williams New Testament uh, are both uh, also in this category of meaning for meaning, slightly expanded. Also the 20th, uh, no, the, the, the translator's New Testament, which I I'm, I'm probably would, would think nobody in this house has that but me. Uh, it's very obscure. I found it many, many years ago, and it's a great translation, but I don't even know if you can find it anymore. It's called the, the uh, uh, translator's New Testament. It has a lot of interesting notes in it. The third type of Bible, we go from word for word to meaning for meaning, and then it's thought for thought. And these are more expanded versions. The New, in, the, uh, New International Version is in the category of uh, thought for thought, and as well as the New Living Translation. Uh, and they expand the, uh, the scriptures even more and bring more information. They're, You'll notice that the that as we're going down this list, the more loosely the uh, these versions are, and then we finally get to the last type, and it's the paraphrase uh, type of of Bible. And I refuse to call these translations, even though some of them call themselves translations. They aren't; they are paraphrases. In this list is the uh, uh, New International Reader's Version the Message Bible, the Passion Bible, the Passion Version. They call it the Passion Translation. That's a terrible name for it. It's not a translation. Uh, and then the uh, Good News Translation, also not really a translation, it's a paraphrase. And in essence, these paraphrase versions of the Bible are more commentary than they are translation. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the Lord's dealt with me about it uh, for, for some time now, and it just uh, wasn't a good time to do it. I'm seeing more and more uh, people and hearing more and more people who are gravitating toward these, these uh, paraphrase versions for uh, uh, you know, sharing and making comments and, and teaching from uh, I want to steer you now. I you have to understand. I have all of these types of of uh, books, and I use them all. I use paraphrase versions. In fact, if you if you uh, if you've read my book, if you've gotten into the, I think it's the third or fourth chapter, I talk about uh, uh, the. I, I think I use the Message Bible uh, to 
translate a scripture from either first or second Corinthians that the reason I did is it's a, I don't remember where it is. It's, uh, I was looking for it during praise and worship. Uh, there's a scripture over there where Paul talked about in, in the older King James, it said something about our bowels are not straightened and all kind. It's very odd. It's very, it's got very archaic English. And I remember for years, I would read that and, and just go, you know, many, many years ago, I didn't have all these translations. I'd read that passage. I had no idea what it was talking about. The King James does a better job, but in my book, I bring out the message translation or the message paraphrase of it simply because it helped make a little bit more sense and shed some light. But the problem is these uh, paraphrases uh, in, in essence add to the Bible stuff that's not there. And they take great liberties. And uh, again, uh, I, I don't, I'm not coming to your house and checking up what you read. It's nothing like that. But as your pastor, I need to warn you, you need to be, you need to be more careful, or a lot of people need to be more careful than they've been being uh, with some of these paraphrases because uh, it's good to, I, I use them, if I'm, if I'm looking at a passage of Scripture and I've gone through several different, uh, uh, and I, I tend to gravitate toward the, the literal translations, either the word for word or the meaning for meaning. I, tra- I tend to gravitate towards those because they're just more accurate. I want to know what God said. And so sometimes uh, I, I will look for a, another way to say it so that I can teach it better. And so I'll, I'll look at some of these fair, uh, paraphrases and see if there's anything there that, that would help me. Uh, the, but the, the, the important thing that I want to leave with you tonight is you have to be careful when you're studying the Bible to know what is the word and what isn't the word. And uh, let's look at, I want you to look at, uh, uh, well, first of all, I want to read this passage from uh, this is a, a theology book that I have. It's called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. And I finally took the paper cover off of it. And uh, on page 24, this is, this is a, a theological statement. This is on the chapter of uh, 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 bibliology. And it's the study of the Bible and the scriptures. And it, and it talks about the inspiration of the scriptures. There are several different types of uh, views of divine inspiration or the inspiration of the scripture. There's a, uh, uh, the verbal diction theory. There's the inspired concept theory. And the one that most people that, that, that we would be uh, uh, in agreement with followed the verbal plenary inspirational view. And let me read what it says here. It says, this view holds that all the words written are God-breathed. Verbal signifies the words, and plenary means full or complete as opposed to partial. Thus it is held that the words themselves, all of them, are inspired. I would completely agree with that. God gave full expression to his thoughts in the words of the biblical record. He guided the very choice of the words used within the personality and culture complex of the writers so that in, in, in some inscrutable manner, the Bible is the word of God while being the words of men. 
Charles Hodge has expressed the meaning, meaning of verbal insp- inspiration well. And it's quoting here. says, it is meant that the divine influence of whatever kind it may have been, which accompanied the sacred writers in what they wrote, extends to the expression of their thoughts in language as well as the thoughts themselves. The effect being that in the original autographed copies, the language expresses the thought of God intended to convey when to convey with infallible accuracy so that the words as well as the thoughts are God's revelation to us. Then the writer here of this book goes on to say, inspiration then is the process whereby the spirit, whereby spirit moved men produced spirit breathed writings. L. Goss gives us an excellent definition of inspiration in the following. It is then inexplicable power which the divine spirit put forth on the authors of the Holy Scriptures in order to their guidance, even in the employment of the words they used and to preserve them alike from all error and from all omissions. So I just wanted to... to, uh, uh, read that to you, and then look at some scriptures. I want you to go with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And these these verses of scripture uh, illustrate what this writer was talking about, or the writer was illustrating what these scriptures say, one or the other. Romans chapter 1 starts out with, with these verses. The first two verses says, Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Here Paul refers to the Bible as the holy scriptures. That's not a phrase that's new to anybody, but I think it's important that we reflect on that, that the scriptures are holy. They're sacred. Go with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and let's look at chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, and verse number 15. Paul is, is talking to Timothy, and he said that in verse 15, from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the scriptures are holy. They're not subject to uh, uh, human review. They are what they are. Uh, let me jump ahead a little bit. Let me... Let me read to you something from, this is from the writings of the, of the author of the, uh, uh, the Passion Translation. Let, let, me, let me say that before I say this. There are, there are different kinds of Bibles too in the sense of who translated them. You have some of your, your best uh, literal translation Bibles, the most respected, King James, the... The, uh, uh, the New King James, the uh, 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 English Standard Version, these Bibles were not translated by one scholar. 
They were translated by Bible uh, societies, committees, most of the time that were gathered from, from different nations, English-speaking nations in the world, not just the United States. They usually come, these, these uh, uh, translation committees are intentionally drawn from, obviously they have to be Hebrew and Greek scholars of, of uh, indisputable uh, qualification. But they also, these Bible societies will make sure that, they, that they're drawn from different denominational backgrounds so that in any one translation, you don't have emerging a particular uh, theology or, or bent in the scriptures. And that's, that's an important safeguard. And so uh, uh, that's not to say that I don't use script of uh, translations that that are produced by individuals because I do I just mentioned Weist and Williams both of those are excellent translations but when I study I I always look at all of them and the and the versions that are weightiest to me are the versions that come from these societies of scholars and these uh, uh, translation committees that are drawn from people uh, from all over the world but now, so there's nothing wrong with, with the Passion Version, uh, you know, being written by one person. But I just want you to, here's what this person in his, in his uh, philosophy uh, said. He said, the meaning of a passage took priority over the form of the original words. Sometimes in order to communicate the correct intended meanings, Words needed to be changed. Now, that's a big red flag to me. Uh, In other words, the words that God inspired writers to to write now need to be changed. Uh, That's to me, it's very dangerous. In another place, uh, this author, the the person who produced produced the, the, uh, the Passion Version, he said the Passion Translation is more in favor of prior, prioritizing God's original message over the word's literal meanings. So they're taking, he's taking liberty with the, even the meanings and, uh, and he's pri- prioritizing God's original message. Well, how would you know his message without, without reading the words that he wrote? What that amounts to is my opinion of what the meaning should have been. I think anybody can readily see that, that you're, you're on a very slippery slope when you start going down that, down that uh, path. And that's where these paraphrases have gone, in my opinion. So uh, uh, let's look at Second, uh, Second Timothy again. It says here, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing of, from whom you've learned them, verse 14, verse 15, and that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now we know faith comes by hearing the word. Faith doesn't come by hearing commentary about the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. Hold your place and go over to Romans where that's found. Romans chapter 10. 
Romans 10. Verse, let's start in verse number. Well, let's start in verse 16. They have not all, not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now, this is, uh, I don't remember. How, how does that say that in the older King James? Is that same, same there? Who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What this says in the original Greek is faith comes by the report. That word hearing there is the same word that's translated report in verse 16. So then faith comes by the report. What, is, what, what report? The report of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing what God said, not what, what I say. It doesn't come by what I say. What I say may be good, but faith comes from the word. Amen? So then going back to uh, uh, the passage we were, we were looking at, uh, 2 Timothy. Not only does faith come from hearing, salvation. Salvation comes from hearing the word of God. He said, you have, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. I tell you what, it, it's important that we stick to the word. Now, again, I'm not, against, I'm not wholly against any of these other paraphrases. I have reservations about them, and, and I believe you should too. And, and all I'm saying is I'm hearing a whole lot more people that like to quote from these paraphrases, and I'll, and I'll give you some illustration of, of how, how that can get off track here in a few minutes. Let's go on to uh, uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And let's look at Acts chapter 2, and let's look at verse 37. It's not it. Acts 2.37. Yeah, it is it. Here on the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and preached the gospel. And look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Apostle Paul, when he preached this, was preaching the pure word of God. He was speaking as the very mouthpiece of God. God inspired those very words, and Luke, the writer of of the book of Acts, was inspired to take them down word for word and and to repeat them to us. Now, notice the effect that it had. Now, when they had heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit 
For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice that when they heard the word of God, they were cut to the heart. I have read uh, in my lifetime, I've read the words of, of, of some really uh, important people, people that have changed the world. I, I've, I've read, and you have too, that some of our founding fathers in our nation have written some powerful things. Their words are, are magnificent. The, 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 the clarity and the expansiveness of their thought and laying down the ideals of, of, uh, of freedom and liberty and the, and the things we value are remarkable. The difference is they don't have the ability to transform a person's life. Only God's word. Those are only God's word has the ability to transform, transform somebody's life. And when Peter was preaching, the, the people who were listening to him, they came into that scene that day. This is on the day of Pentecost. These were people who were mocking. These were people who were uh, deriding and casting insults. And, uh, you know, Jesus had been crucified just a few days before. And here these people are out here preaching. This same Jesus whom you crucified... God has made both Lord and Christ. And it went right into their heart. It cut into their heart. The word of God has the ability to do that. My words and your words don't have that ability. If we are effective in witnessing to people, we will be effective when we give them the word. Now, I believe in testimonies, and you've heard me talk about that. Everybody has a testimony. Everybody has a testimony and for every person's testimony, there are other people, probably scores and scores of people you'll meet in life who your testimony will resonate with them. So it's good, it's powerful. But once you get their attention, it takes the word of God to change the heart because faith doesn't come by your testimony. Faith comes by the word. And so that's why it's important that, that we that we value the words as they were inspired by the Spirit of God. Of course, they have to be translated. doesn't do any good to just read Greek. You know, if you could read it and not understand it, it wouldn't do any good. Somebody has to translate it into your language, but they, they have, there, there has to be, uh, we have to have confidence in the people that are translating them that they value the Word of God that they don't think they can say it better than God said it or they don't like the way God said it. Amen. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 13. Paul was talking, of course, Paul, you know, if you... If you read in the book of Acts how Paul, you know, his company went in Thessalonica and uh, preached and, and God moved and, and they raised up a church. Well, he wrote them back later and he said in verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, 
you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. God's word works in men's hearts when they believe it. And the, and the reason it's powerful and it works is because it's the word of God. It's not the word of man. And then, of course, everybody knows this scripture in Hebrews, the uh, fourth chapter. Turn over there real fast. I think Joe Morris would say, slide on over there. <laughs> in uh, Hebrews four twelve, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't know if they had razor blades in the time of the translation of, or the writing of the New Testament or not, but their sharpest blade, the word of God is sharper than any blade, sharper than a razor blade. Now see, that's, in my, that's, in, that's, that's my commentary. The truth of the matter is the Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. Uh, Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's something about God's word, and that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. It pierced the hearts. That says they were cut to the heart. It pierced their hearts, and it discerned their thoughts and intents. And suddenly they cried out to the, to the disciples, what do we need to do? They knew, they knew they were lost without God. They'd never heard the gospel before, had never been aware of that before. But when the word went out, it cut their heart because it's, it's alive and powerful. And it caused them to be aware of their lost condition. And they said, now what do we do? And Peter told them how to be saved. Praise God. Amen. I want to read some examples of, of what I'm talking about and give me the message Bible here. And again, like I said, I've used them. Now, now I've, I don't use the message Bible that often. I don't pull it off my shelf very often, but I'm, but I'm telling you, I, I have used it, used it because it's in my book that I wrote. So you know I use it occasionally. I just, I don't gravitate toward paraphrases. I don't have a... Uh, uh, passion translation because I especially don't like it. But uh, let me read to you. Go with me over to, you might like it. I'm not criticizing if you like it. I'm just telling you to be careful. I'm your pastor and I want you to not err where the scriptures are concerned. Amen. So have an open heart, even if you, if I'm treading on your sacred ground, this is sacred. Amen. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Now, I'll tell you this. I didn't know, I couldn't have found from my memory any of these illustrations because I don't read the Message Bible or the, I don't read paraphrases. So I couldn't, I couldn't think of any examples, so I had to go online. I don't really recommend you doing, do that, doing that because most of the, almost every uh, uh, article I read online was written by extremists. 
And they, they had plenty of examples. They all hate the Passion Translation. They all hate the Message Bible. Uh, and I don't hate them. I just love the Word of God. But most of their criticism was, ba- and most of these are individuals. If you look at their websites and do a little, do a little digging in who they are, these are not people with ministries. These are people who want to have ministries and they're self-appointed uh, Bible scholars that really aren't. And they've all got a theological ax to grind. And so they take some of the examples that I'm going to read and they made a whole lot more out of them than I would. In other words, they were said that this is heresy. This denies the fundamental. No, come on. It's not that serious. All I'm saying to you is that we need the word of God. There's no replacement for the word of God. So I found these examples by looking online, but I don't agree with all these people were saying about these, these, uh, these uh, examples that I'm gonna read. Does that make sense to you? In Matthew 6, let me find it in this paraphrase. Boy, this is small. I've got a big message Bible that's, the uh, paperback. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Go with me over to uh, Matthew 6, 8. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Now, we can all, re- we can all probably quote this, but let's read it anyway. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now keep your keep your nose in in how many of you are reading from King James or something like that? New King James, most of us. Whatever you're how many of you are reading from the message? I'm gonna read it to you. Okay. You wouldn't raise your hand anyway, would you? I really don't want to give that message that I I'm telling you not to read it. I'm just I'm just trying to help you. Uh, here's the message version. Our Father in heaven. Reveal who you are. Where did that come from? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, that idea is not even there. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. Well, what about heaven and earth? The, 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 the literal translation is, notice this, this Bible left out the whole statement. It added, uh, reveal who you are. That's not there. And it left out that entire statement about hallowed be your name. That's not even in here. Completely left that out. That's what I'm talking about. That's not healthy. This, this should not be your primary diet. Amen. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He, he translated, set the world right, do what's best as above, so below. Then it says, give us this day our daily bread. This version says, keep us alive with three square meals. Yes, it does. It says, keep us alive with three square meals. Now, where is the word square in in this text? It's not there. Keep us alive with three square meals. Now, here's here's another one that's that I think is I think it's very serious that he dropped Hallowed be your name completely. I don't know why, but it's just not in, in this text. The, the, the King James and all other uh, reputable translations says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us, that's a, that's a request, excuse me, that's a request. Father, forgive us our debts. This, trans, this, this version says, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us forgiving with you and forgive, keep us forgiving with you. Excuse, excuse me, forgiven. Keep us forgiven with you. That's, that's entirely different than Father, forgive us. Keep us forgiven doesn't, doesn't uh, suggest any indication of needing to be forgiven because we're already forgiven. This is, that's a grace, that's an extreme grace doctrine that's infiltrated into the scripture. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. It says here in in verse 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into, into temptation is different than keeping us safe. I was kept safe tonight by wearing my seatbelt. It's not the same thing as being kept from temptation. Temptation is very real. And we don't need it whitewashed out of the Bible. Uh, then he says, where it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It says, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's one example. Go with me to John. Am I out of time? Go with me to John. I didn't think I would take very long tonight. Go with me to John 1. Go to, what are you laughing at over there? What was that cackle about? Somebody's cackling at me over there. John 1. And let's look at verse number 12. John 1. This is a tiny book. Gracious. I don't even know the notations here. I'll have to find this. Wow. 
Oh, I can't even find this. I can't even find the verse the way it's laid out in here. Thunder, thunder in the desert. That's what I'm reading here. Th- I don't see thunder in the desert. What in the world? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is crazy. Okay, here, I finally found it. Verse number 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. He, verse 11 says, He came to his own, his own did not receive him, but as many received him. This, this Bible says, He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him and believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their, cha- their child of God selves. What? Well, I'm, I'm not going to go any further with that because I can't find anything. Go to First John, epistle of First John. I was disappointed uh, with this the other night. I stumbled on this all by myself. From the NIV, I was, I was looking at, I was studying the scripture in 1 John chapter 5. Turn over to the 5th fifth, fifth chapter. Verse 16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin not leading to, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. I was looking at this verse and this was just in my private uh, reading time and and I was looking at this, says he will ask and he will give him life. So what, what does that mean? So I did a Greek, you know, looked it up in the Greek and it's the word zoe, give him life, eternal life. For him uh, who commits sin not leading to death. Well, I, I thought I'd look at it in, in some other translations that I, that I liked and respected. And I, I looked at the NIV and the NIV said this. Now, the King James says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death. You know what the NIV said? If anyone sees his brother or sister Sinning a sin which does not lead to death. The word, I looked it up, the word sister's not in the Greek. It didn't refer to the sisters. It referred to the brothers. Now, do I think it applies to the sisters? Yes. (laughs) You have to, anybody that's read the Bible knows that in the time in which it was written, a lot of times it was, it was still, even up until uh, uh, postmodern times, it's been a male-dominated society and brothers meant everybody. Well, to correct that in the light of today's gender consciousness, the NIV added a word that, that's not there. And that's not as crazy as some of this other stuff, but I was surprised. You know, why did they think they needed to do that? Because the way God said it wasn't good enough. Now, you might think I'm, I'm straining at, at gnats. I was reading a book by a good friend of mine. 
And then this person, I know this person very well, wrote an excellent book. I'm not, I wouldn't tell you the name of the book or who it is. I'm not trashing them. I'm just, and, and, and what I'm about to describe is fairly innocent, but I want you to, to pay attention to the subtleties. This person was reading from, or in the book, was quoting from Acts chapter 11. You got just another couple of minutes. Acts chapter 11. This will illustrate what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 11. Uh, Now, verse 19, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to the word, the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men of of Cyprus and Cyrene, I don't know if that's Serene or Serene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the word of the Lord. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great, now listen to this carefully to get this, the, what's being described. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Notice it doesn't say he danced on the roof. It just says he was glad. And encouraged them that they all, that encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, this particular author that I I respect, is a friend of mine, uh, this, this person quoted from another translation, or actually it was, the, it was the Message Bible, actually. I'm pretty sure it was. And the way this, this uh, version pre- presented it, he says that when he had come and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord for the rest of their lives. Well, the rest of their lives isn't in this text. Now, do we believe that they should continue with the Lord for the rest of their lives? Yes. But to say that that's what, uh, that's what uh, Paul and and Barnabas, or excuse me, uh, uh, who are we talking about here? Barnabas, yeah, Barnabas and Saul. To, at Antioch, to say that that's what they were thinking, nobody knows what they were thinking. They might have just said and intended to say, there's to cleave with the Lord, you know, to, to follow him with all your heart without even thinking about for all of their lives. Now, why is that important? Here's, here's what I'm getting at. This author went on to say, now, this, they were told to, to cling to the Lord for the rest of their lives. Then this author asked, how, were the, how would they manage to cling to the Lord for the rest of their lives? And this author then went into this long explanation of what it would take to cling to the Lord for the rest of your life. And this author kept emphasizing this idea for the rest of your lives, for the rest of your lives, for the rest of your lives. Now again, do I believe people are to cling to the Lord and serve God for the rest of their lives? Yes, it's obvious. But when when a teacher is teaching, he takes the scripture 
And it's the, it's the, the especially teachers, we're going to take the word of God and we're going to expound on it. We're going to add, we're going to explain it in our own words. We're going to use illustrations. We're going to say it differently. But when we do that, you all know that my explanation isn't the word of God. The word of God is what's written. And everything I say about it, uh, as helpful as it may be, you don't, you don't at any point think that I'm speaking, my, my, my explanation is the inspired word of God like in the scriptures. But see what this author did without thinking This author took a paraphrase and then built a doctrine, started expounding on that, on that paraphrase. And every, every teacher does this in preaching and in teaching. I'm doing it right now. I will take something and expound upon that and, and, and illustrate it and, and grow it. But what this author did is this author expounded on a something that was in a translation that was in their Bible. So to them, the Bible said for the rest of your lives. That's where the word of God starts being polluted and becomes dangerous because people start preaching and teaching and they don't intend, and I'm sure this person, because I know this person is solid, and this is a, probably the only speck I could find in this Bible. It's, I read the book, it's a great book. Uh, this is probably the only thing I could find wrong with it, and the only reason I, I thought about it is because I was planning on teaching on this. But when, when I say, for instance, when I teach and I say, uh, the primary way God leads all of his people, all of Christians, is by the inward witness. How many times have you heard me say that? I teach that because of the scriptures where it says that uh, 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 the spirit bears witness with our spirit. Over in, in, in the, uh, 1 John, it talks about if anyone believes, he has the witness in himself and from experience. Because most people, if you, if you ask most Christians, hey, tell me what you know about the inward witness. Most Christians will go, the inward what? Or even yet, if you said, how do you, you're a Christian, tell me how to be led of the Lord. Oh, you're going to hear all kinds of stuff. But when I've, I've found that when people actually are taught about the inward witness, read from the scriptures, and then taught about it, I've yet to find a Christian that said, I don't know what you're talking about. Every, every Christian I've ever seen goes, you know what, I'm aware of that inward witness. I just didn't know what it was. Every Christian has a, how many people have you heard say, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that the whole time I did it. Or I, you know, I knew I was supposed to go over there, but I didn't go. Every Christian has that experience. It's universal. So when I teach on the inward witness, I make a statement that the primary way God leads all of his children is by the inward witness. That's a teaching drawn from the scriptures, but you don't find that. There's no scripture that says the primary way he deals with us is through the inward witness. That's what I'm getting at. So all I'm saying to you is, and I know I went a, a little over tonight. So uh, use your 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 uh, paraphrases advisedly. Have a have a real hunger and respect for the word. What did the What did the Holy Spirit inspire the writers to write? What words did they write? And what translation most accurately translates what they said? 
Now, I'll get back to the Amplified real, real quick before I go. Angela asked me last night, I told her I was going to teach on this. She said, well, what about the Amplified Bible? Because it's just verbose, you know, just... I said, the cool thing about the Amplified Bible, it's a very literal translation. It's a, it's a, uh, what's the phrase they use to describe it? It's a, it's a literal equivalent. The thing about the Amplified Bible that I really appreciate, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I have an, my Amplified Bible at home is probably 40 years old or 35 years old. It's more than 35, probably 40 years old. And it hadn't done this. This has been sitting on my shelf in here, drying out. It tell, is, this page is entitled Explanation of Arbitrary Punctuation. Have you ever read this? How many of you read the Amplified Bible? Have you ever read this page? I know Jackie would. I knew you would. It talks about what the uh, parentheses mean, what the dashes mean. They, mean, they signify additional phrases, fa- additional phases of meaning included in the original word, phrase, or clause of the original Bible, original language. Then it talks about brackets. Brackets contain justified, clarifying words or comments not actually expressed in the immediate original text. It tells you that those words in bracket aren't in the original. Uh, so that's important when you're reading the... I, I, I've known that for, for 40 years. When I read the Amplified Bible and I read all those other words, if they're in parentheses or in they're in brackets, I know exactly what I'm looking at. These other paraphrases don't do that. They just add a bunch of words and you think God said all that stuff and he didn't say it. Well, praise the Lord. Is this helpful tonight? Have a real respect for the pure word of God because the word of God is is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it is God-breathed and it'll change your life. Amen. And uh, it'll keep your doctrine straight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.